The wait is over. The podcast is live. Sit back, listen, and learn as we teach you what it takes to be a world-class leader. Let's get at it. All right, leaders. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. This is a podcast that's dedicated to creating leaders of everyone and anyone. We believe that leaders are made and not born. If you haven't joined us before, we are on episode three of our mini series going over our four pillars of success program. This is the program that we use when we are consulting or working with any company. Uh, It's based on the four pillars that we believe are the foundational success um, or causes of success for a business. So we have the people, the people that actually do the the day-to-day job. We have the process, the system in which the people do things, create things, um, systems or processes gives us a repeatable and predictable outcome. And today we're going to talk about product. So the third P in our uh, four P's or the four pillars. Uh, I want to just reiterate why we use this. One, it's a simple, rememberable framework, but um, it's also a way for us to categorize issues that arise in companies. So anytime we have uh, something that goes on and we're talking about a company that needs to be able to quickly disseminate information across, you know, human resources, finance, operations, and all the, all the different departments that go into um, a successful company, it's very easy for things to get lost in translation or diluted as they go. Um, because oftentimes people interpret and see things differently, right? So a human resources director is going to see things differently than a finance director, and they're going to see things differently than someone in operations because we all have different focuses. We're all different individuals. What means something to me may not mean something or the same thing to someone else. So to combat that, we developed a system that is a simple way of categorizing. So if it's a people problem, it's very easy once we develop this framework and everybody uh, begins to use it that we can refer to it. So is this a people problem, a process problem, a product problem, or a promotion problem? That's why we we developed the four P's or the four pillars and we have had a lot of success with it. So like I said, today we're going to be discussing the third pillar, which is the product. So when we talk about product, it can be a physical product, it can be a digital product, uh, it can also be a service. So the the service could essentially be the product that we're offering. Um, Basically, we all know products are the building blocks or the foundation that every company is built on, right? So without a offering to the for the market, there would be no company. Um, Even if it is a, you know, we do consulting. So basically, we're selling our time and expertise. Same as maybe a lawyer, um, an attorney, lots of lots of jobs like that. Maybe an accountant, a CPA. You know, they're they're really selling their expertise and their knowledge, but it's still a product. It still has value in the marketplace. So, what we want to do today is break it down, and we want to talk about the the actual product, then the how we position the product in the marketplace, how we assess the product is. Uh, you know, its value proposition, how we assess if the product is doing good, if it's reaching its goals, 
We're not going to get too deep in on like pricing um, because we try to pull that out of the equation a little bit. And we look at finances as its whole, its own um, sort of offset. Like finances are definitely the, the fabric that weaves everything together and allows companies to have the, the resources they need. Um, but we want to pull that out so that we can really focus on the product. Um, and then once we solidify a product, then we talk about, does the business model make sense? Like I can make the greatest, you know, restaurant in the world and I can serve the best food, hire the best chefs, fanciest China, put fancy artwork on the walls. But if it costs me more to do so, um, it's not a sustainable business model. But we want to separate that for now, for simplicity's sake. Um, so like we said, so, you know, it's a physical, it's a digital, it's a service product. A physical product, obviously, is going to be a little bit more um, labor intensive. It's going to be more cost prohibitive, regardless of what it is. You have to actually purchase the product to be able to sell it, or you have to purchase the raw goods to be able to uh, manufacture the product. And then, of course, there's the labor involved in in manufacturing. Um, you also will have quite a bit of money tied up in inventory, so it's not necessarily circulating throughout the company. And if you've joined us before, we talked about money is not uh, was never meant to be saved. Money was meant to be spent. It was literally created to be um, a method of commerce, of uh, transacting, right? It was supposed to simplify transactions and we didn't have to carry around buckets of gold or whatever. So when we look at that and we say, okay, well, what do we want to do to be able to offer the, the best product we can? If it's a physical product, we know that we're going to have to first come up with the product, create the product, get the goods, get the everything that goes into making a finished good, a finished product. And then we're going to have to have the inventory on hand for when sales come in, we can meet, meet the sales or the demand. Very, very cost prohibitive, a lot of cost up front just to keep the inventory on hand. And that's typically where a lot of companies run into problems is once they actually begin to get sales, it's very hard to forecast and keep the right amount of inventory without oversaturating and tying up a lot of your, 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 good, your money that um, is needed to fund the other parts of your business like payroll and everything else. Um, so physical products can be probably the most complex. Um, contrast that to a digital product, which we see more and more today, um, you know, you see courses, we obviously sell courses, uh, you see digital books and things of that nature, very cheap, much more cheap, right? So you're doing a lot of upfront work to create the product, but then there's not much, um, inventory on hand. You're not really having to create anything. It's there and it's, it can be recreated millions or billions of times. So very different, uh, financial structure, but, uh, just depends, right? So not every, a lot, there's still a massive demand for physical products. That's easy to see in all the Walmarts, the Targets, the Amazons, everything. That's still a, a massive um, need for physical products and humans will always need physical products. We live in a physical world. And then services, services again, gonna be a much lower overhead cost on product. Now, even if you're doing something like, let's say plumbing, um, it's still mostly service oriented. You're obviously going to have to have 
um, you know, the tools and the pipes and the different things that go into um, being able to offer that service. But uh, it's nowhere near as expensive as, say, a furniture store where we have to keep, uh, you know, we have to buy all the goods to make the couches and the armoires and the everything. And then we have to keep those finished goods on hand and we have to have a showroom or we have to have, you know, a way to ship that product. You can just easily imagine the differences in cost associated with those. So once we kind of figure out that we, what product we're wanting to sell, um, this can either be done before or after, right? So maybe we've come up with something, this is our product and, you know, we're gung ho and we're going to offer it to the market. Now we have to figure out how to get it out or we're working kind of backwards and we said we want to start a business, what needs are out there. Um, we have to figure out the needs, the market desire. Is there a actual desire for this product? So if we already have the product, we have to determine if there's a need. If we don't have a product, we might determine what the need is and then work backwards to creating that product. Um, oftentimes, some of the best products that we see today were derived by people saying, man, I wish there was something like this. Or, you know, they kind of makeshift created something to solve a problem and then realize that there was a major need out the, in the world and uh, mass marketed it, mass produced that and sold it. Um, so how do we figure out need? How do we figure out if there's a market need? So there's lots of ways to do it. You know, you can go out and look and see, are, is, are there similar products out in the market that people are already purchasing, right? So uh, some of the big things people we worked with are uh, virtual or digital, they pretty much go on Amazon and see the most searched products or the products with the most reviews. They have some way that they assess what is being sold on Amazon. And in doing so, then they're able to go and a lot of times you'll, they'll go to Alibaba or they'll go somewhere and find that product and pretty much just kind of copy and paste um, and put that out there. Another popular thing that we see a lot now is what they call white labeling, um, or, you know, it's basically where, let's say I see that there is a pre-workout that's very popular in, in, in the fitness industry. A lot of times you can go and you find out that this company, all they're doing is creating a label and slapping it on a product. And there might be 10 or 12 companies or more, like say on Amazon, it's the same product. It's just got different labels on it. So there's a manufacturer that has a, a mix, right? So they've made a, they've made a pre-workout product and it's a mix and they sell you a package of that. And all you have to do is have a label. You can send them the label or however the process works, but they slap the label on it. They send it to you. You can market it under your brand name. It's good to go. Um, so that's where we would assess there's already a need. So now all we want to do is get something to fill that need. And we think that somehow we can get in front of the customer better than someone else is doing. Um, if not, if we have sort of a new um, mark, if we have a new product and we need to now figure out, does anybody actually want this? We need to do product testing. So we can do that by getting a sample of the community. So we could go out and get 10, 20 different people um, different demographics, or if we know we're targeting a specific demographic, um, we'll get people just in that demographic and we let them use and test the product and then we get feedback. Um, 
ask them, did you like it? Would you consider buying a product like this in the future? Different things like that. Um, that's going to give us some uh, data to use. So then once we get that data, we have to be able to decipher it and digest it and ultimately use that data. That's uh, what I like to call qualitative versus quantitative. So we can quantify it by saying, well, how much would you be willing to pay for this item? How often, you know, if it's toothpaste or if it's detergent or something, how do you think you would buy two a month? Different things. So now we can quantify. Yes, they like it. They're willing to pay this much. They would probably purchase this frequently. So now we've got a decent amount of data to help us not only determine if they liked it, but it's a viable, right, product. Um, now, on the other side, there's qualitative. And that basically is kind of like think about quality. So this is more, this is going to be more where they're giving their feedback and saying, yeah, I like it. I don't like it. I think it's a good product. I don't think it's a good product. I might fix this. Um, it's not as analytical as quantitative. So we can't actually add, subtract and, you know, geek out on the numbers. But what we can do is take it and use it as useful feedback to tweak the product if need be. So, you know, good qualitative data might say, I think it needs to be a little bigger, or I think it, I wish it was smaller so I could fit it in my purse or fit it in my pocket, or, you know, I don't like the packaging. Um, it's good, but it, it's not as good as this other product, or I wish you had it in different colors, different whatever. So that's where we're going to get our qualitative. So now we have a lot of good data because they really go hand in hand. So now I can say, okay, this is objectively what they think, right? It's kind of subjective, but it's still, I can say they want to change these things. I can also say, well, this is about how much it seems like people are willing to pay. So I know that if they're willing to pay that and I want to make 50%, 60% profit margin, then I need to charge this much. Um, so now we've got a lot of really good, useful data to take back and go over it and use it to redo the product, reposition the product, whatever it may be. Um, now that we've done that, we can also begin to do market analysis. So we've kind of analyzed our product. Now we need to look at the market and say, where do we want to go in? So when we talk about the market, that's a very broad term, right? So there's a macro and a micro market. We talked about macro, micro, when it came to economics, when it came to almost everything. There's going to be the big overall picture, and then there's going to be the small. So on the macro, we're looking at, we're taking it to maybe a state or a local city or the world, right? Um, global. But we're going to find a market where we want to release this product. We'll get a lot more in depth on this once we get into promotion, the actual marketing of the product and the different venues that we can market it, social media, print media, and things of that nature. But right now we're talking more about the actual demographics, the people that we want. You know, are we marketing it, giving it out to women, men, a certain age group, whatever it may be? Um, that's going to be paramount because what we don't want to do is if it's if we're creating a makeup product 
we don't want to necessarily put it in Home Depot and Lowe's, right? We, that's not going to be the right demographic for us. So that's one thing that we need to choose is where is the best demographic. Um, and then once we do that, and we now we know the market that we're going to try to penetrate or get into, now we have to look at, well, is there other competition? Obviously, there's probably going to be unless this is some brand new product. So the competition, who's out there? Who's already doing this? Who's already offering a similar product? What are their sales like? Do we think that we can compete with them on a price or uh, quality? Um, what is it that we feel that we have a better value proposition, right? We're, we're offering the consumer something better, either a cheaper price, a higher quality item, whatever it may be. And once we do that, now we say, are we able to chip away and take some of that market share? Do we think there's enough market share to uh, support us in there? So now we've defined the product, we've got feedback to refine the product, we've uh, analyzed who we're going to target with our product. And now we're looking at the competitors, right? Because it's like, if we want to go get a piece of land in the old days, but there was somebody already occupying that land, we had to decide, you know, the Vikings had to decide, are we going to pull our ships up on this shore and take this land? I, I, it just depends how well armed are they? You know, if we're going in against some, if we've got a new beverage and we, think, man, this is a great beverage and it's a good price. Are we really confident we're going to be able to go up against Pepsi and Coca-Cola and fight them on price or even quality? Even if it's a great, great beverage, it's a very tough segment to get into. That's a very tough uh, market segment to get in because it's so overly saturated and dominant by the big players. So that's all the things that you have to kind of think about. And then this ties into it, but it's called niche or niche, I guess you hear some people say, but that basically means like a very small targeted audience. Um, you know, if we had a store that sold sewing, there's a very small group of people that are probably into that. Not, it's not going to be a wide mass market. We're going to really have to be uh, laser sighted. Uh, snipers with who we sell that to as opposed to if we were selling socks I mean socks everybody has to have socks right so we could put that almost anywhere it's gonna have a broad appeal um, now the the advantages of niche is a couple things one a there's these people usually die hard fans so whatever it might be like you know you think about like um, if someone's like a fishing person, right? So there's only a certain amount of people that fish, but the ones that do typically will, they want the best reels. They want the best rods. They want the best, you know, bait. They're willing to do whatever. They're deeply entrenched in that. They enjoy it. Um, they're willing to spend a lot of money and there's sort of like a subculture or sub society. So once we get in there, word will spread very quickly through those communities and we'll be able to go to specific trade shows and do different things to get in front of that audience. So niche offers that, that you can usually charge a little bit more of a premium price because those people enjoy what they do and they want to do good at it and they, they're willing to spend a little bit more money. 
So that's one thing of the niche. The other thing though is realizing, which is gonna bring us into our next point, is scalability. If you niche down too much, you will by default be turning down a lot of other audience, right? So if I was selling sewing machines, like my example before of makeup, I'm probably not going to get any of the the uh, Home Depot, Lowe's, um, all those type of people that might go in there, right? So men probably aren't going to buy many of my machines. Um, in fact, a lot of people don't sew anymore. So it's going to be a very specific group of people that like and appreciate sewing machines. So the ability to scale just means ratchet up, right? So once we got our product in one store, we might want to get it in two and three and four and five stores. And then we have it online. Um, now we uh, are getting into large retail stores. So we know like say Walmart, there's Walmarts like in every town, every city, every country, every state, every country. So that would be scalability. Can we get this in front of more and more and more and more people? And once again, we would have to go back and look. Now we get into a little bit more of a system or process, but now we have to go back and look like, you know, if it's furniture, like I said, that's going to be very difficult to scale because of the cost. Like if we want to get our piece of furniture, let's say in every Walmart, every Target, every Best Buy or something, say it's a TV, just imagine how expensive that would actually be. Just the manufacturing, the shipping, the everything that would go into getting that physical product in stores everywhere. Um, very, very cost prohibitive. And then to keep up with those sales, to keep up with the demand as, as sales orders kept coming in. So you can see where scalability comes into, you want to sell more, but you have to be very strategic as opposed to if you're doing a digital product, that's very simple. You can, you can mass market that out and all they're doing is downloading something. With a service, same thing, but if you've got a plumbing company, it's it's somewhat restricted by how many plumbers do you have and how quickly can they complete jobs and different things like that, you know? And that's one thing you have to be very careful of. We'll talk about it when we get to our next episode of promotion, but you don't want to over-promote and then not be able to deliver. So we wouldn't want to get all these sales coming in and then not be able to fulfill the sales. And in fact, uh, I've heard that this is one of the number one um, issues or problems that people on the famous Shark Tank show. So we've all seen Shark Tank, the entrepreneurs go in there and they pitch these uh, famous or uh, successful entrepreneurs and hope to get uh, them to give them some funds. One of the biggest problems is even if they don't get a deal on that show, they usually get a huge boom um, in sales or a huge spike from the TV, from being on TV and, and getting in front of this mass viewers. Unfortunately, if they're not funded enough and they're not ready for it, they won't be able to meet the sales demand. And then you get a lot of pissed off, unhappy customers. And it can be, it can be more of a curse than it was an actual blessing. Um, so that pretty much kind of does it on our defining the product and getting, figuring out the product, you know, some of that we talked about the marketing. There's a new frontier, which we talk about almost like you're trying to create a demand and you'll hear Shark Tank, the people on there talk about that. It's very tough to educate. Like if it's, if your product is so new, it's a completely new thing and you have to actually educate people. 
on its on its use and everything that can be very tough so that's sort of a new frontier this, the next topic I want to talk about is emerging trends. So those are big, you know, and people will jump on the bandwagon. One of the most recent ones that people did was obviously during the, the shutdown and everything, mask and hand sanitizer and those things were just, I mean, you couldn't keep them in stock. So lots of people jumped on that bandwagon and made a killing. And now, of course, that, that need has waned. Um, so some people might be sitting on large amounts of inventory that they couldn't unload. but but that's sort of a simple example of jumping on an emerging trend. Um, but anytime you see stuff like that, you want to be able to assess and say, you know, maybe I'll jump on this. Maybe, I, maybe I'm able to make a quick buck doing this, or maybe I'm create a sustainable business. But you also want to look at it because if you have a pre-existing product and you're seeing a move in the market or a transition away from that, you have to be, um, we call this the, we call this the, acuity level right so you have to be able to be aware of what's going on we teach people to be very aware um intuitive and we we train them to that when we do our fit fearless and free the individual training that we do with people to get them their peak self we teach them to kind of sit back and almost go inside and assess like why are these fears why did i have this thought what's causing that thought but same thing, you want to be able to do that and sort of step back sometimes and look at the market and say, like, am I seeing some different things? So when you're out in the world and you're shopping or you're doing things or you're scrolling on TikTok or something and you begin to see something over and over, that's probably a, a indicator there's a trend and you need to be aware of that because it could affect you. Um, a couple of case studies that I think are worth noting are like streaming. So once Netflix and, and, and those services started coming out, they offered a digital product. You could immediately stream it. Um, so then the stores like Blockbuster that had physical products that you had to actually go get became obsolete. Um, and in fact, you know, we all know Blockbuster, from what I understand, had the opportunity to, I think, buy Netflix and they just didn't, they didn't see that. Now, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Blockbuster was obviously full of very intelligent and, and good business people because they created a massive company, but they didn't see that trend. They didn't pivot or they didn't um, kind of realign. And there's, I don't know if there's any Blockbusters left, maybe one or two stores. Um, and then the same thing with Kodak, you know, they, they had the cameras and they had the, the film you had to get developed. Um, a lot of my people that are younger won't even know what I'm talking about, but you used to have to take your pictures and get them developed and then go pick them back up um, and then try and put them in albums and stuff. Of course, now we just, everything's on our phones, but um, Kodak didn't, didn't see that coming or didn't take the steps in time. And, you know, they suffered greatly for that. Once again, they were like the market leader. So they were very extremely intelligent, very good company, did everything right. They just didn't see those emerging trends or didn't think they were going to be something that was going to disrupt. Same thing with CDs uh, that did to the vinyl records. And we could go on and on and on what cars did to horses. And then even today, you know, if we're being, if we're watching, we're seeing all the stuff in the news about get rid of fossil fuels, you know, the, the, the green movement. So Tesla that has electric cars is obviously going to be 
very disruptive to the traditional car manufacturers. And I think we're even starting to see a lot of the major car manufacturers jump on that bandwagon and embrace that trend, um, which is which is a good indicator that they're that they're being perceptive to the market. And of course, you know, some of that's government led, but we have to keep up with different legislation because that creates trends or disruption. Um, the other thing, so now that if we have kind of gone through all this, we've got a product, it, we're, we figured out our, you know, strategy for getting it to people. Um, now we're being perceptive of, of, of change. Now we talk about, okay, how are we going to actually, um, you know, make money from doing it? So there's other things that we can do. One's a loss leader. It's a pretty famous thing, but typically, you know, in the, in the world we work in a lot with digital products, with our consulting company, with our uh, personal development for individuals, uh, even in my physical consulting where I go on site, we usually have something, it's called a loss leader, but really it's just a elementary product to get people to use. And then you have the rapport the relationship, and now you can use that as a stepping stone to sort of transition them into different products. You know, we do the fit, fearless, and free, but some of the stuff that we do in that, it teaches you to get fit, teaches you to get over your fears, and it teaches you to become free, um, you know, spiritually, but also financially. So one of the things, you know, we give out a free budget tracker, um, completely free, because more than anything, I want to help people, but it also is a, invitation for them just to try something out. They see if they like it. And, you know, once they start to get some momentum, maybe they've made a little progress. Now they are more and they say, well, look, teach me about investing. Teach me about this. So that loss leader, even though we're giving it out for free or maybe selling it for a dollar, it's sort of a gateway entryway into getting in front of the customer. You'll see this all the time. You know, bars might offer a dollar beer or they might offer a 25 cent wing night. They might not make any money. They could possibly even lose money on the actual sale of the wings, but they have such huge profit margins on their alcohol. It's worth it, right? So the wings are getting them in the door so they can sell them the alcohol. The wings are also probably going to cause them to drink more. Um, we do this with restaurants all the time. We know that like salty foods cause people to drink more. Um, depending on it, if we want to turn the table quicker and get people new and new customers or if we want to keep them there and upsell uh, desserts and wine and different things so basically it's just getting people in it's getting it's get, getting them getting your product or service in front of people a lot of times uh, service companies will say we'll come out and do a free consultation we'll do something that that is not going to benefit them in the immediate but it's setting up for a long-term relationship and i hate to say this like setting up or because we're not really taking advantage of people. We're just doing, we believe in our product. I believe that if you go through our fit, fearless and free, I know without a doubt, you will be better physically. So your physiology, you'll feel better. You'll have more stamina. You'll be fitter. You'll be healthier. Once you get fearless, you will feel less constricted by you. You'll speak up in meetings. You'll have confidence physical once you're physically fit you have confidence once you're not nearly as fearless you're gonna have more confidence and once you become financially set and you have more than anything you get aligned mentally physically and spiritually you get aligned towards a common goal you get so much momentum 
I know it helps people. I've seen it help people over and over and over again. So I'm very confident that if I can get you to do it, I'll help you. So I'm willing to take a loss up front to hopefully help more people. So I'm not taking advantage of people. Um, then we have bundling. So bundling is basically if you buy this, you get this, you know, like act now you can get this or that, you know, if you buy our coaching program, you'll get this. If you, if you buy our one-on-one -on -one coaching program, you'll get instant access to our boardroom, which is basically our mastermind group. Um, so bundling's great. Some companies do it and, and there's actually been um, government regulation to try to halt some stuff because they call it anti-competitive um, uh, behavior where a company will bundle stuff that almost makes other companies obsolete. So like if I if I'm have a service and I bundle it with other things that competitors, that's their main product, like imagine how hard that would be for them to compete if I'm giving their product away for free as part of my other bundle. Um, and then the, the, the other things are just like we kind of touched on upselling, basically upselling. And once you have the customer in the seat, upselling some wine, upselling the dessert. And if you're really on your game, upsell them a gift card so they're going to come back next time or give them a free dessert so that they come back next time, right? Hey, I really appreciate you coming here. Here's a card. This is for your free dessert or free appetizer on your next visit. So, um, and then last but not least, we talked about bundling. Um, that can usually be done as more of a enticement, but there's also complementary products. So if we talk about like plumbing, once you had an established plumbing business, it might make sense to do HVAC, um, heating and air. It might make sense to do, you know, I don't know, what's the other home service? Um, same thing, if you're a lawn mowing company or landscaping, maybe it makes sense to do gutter cleaning or install gutter guards or pressure washing. Um, so whatever it might be, but you have a complimentary service or product that you can sort of bundle together or increase the sale or increase the ticket price. Um, you know, if you have a gym, why wouldn't you offer supplements? Why wouldn't you offer beverages and sports drinks? Why wouldn't you offer um, clothing, right? They need all this stuff. They're there. You might as well upsell them on some stuff that they're probably going to buy anyway. And you have somewhat of a captive audience while they're there, like get them to buy your shirt, get them to buy your gym towel, get them to buy, buy your wrist straps, whatever it might be. Um, and, and so that's, that's it in a nutshell. I've been trying to keep these podcasts and YouTube videos, uh, under 45 minutes, uh, 30 to 40 minutes from what I understand is sort of the, the perfect time. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to start to end it, but more than anything, then the final stages, uh, once you've done all of this, once we've come up with the product, we've assessed it, it got feedback, we've figured out who we're going to sell it to. And now we've come up with strategies to grow that audience and scale. Then it's just continuous product testing. You can do this through, you know, in restaurants, we, we offer a service that we go in and we do basically like blind um, test runs. So we'll go in and they won't know that we're there or we'll hire a, a young lady or a young guy or whoever it is, um, send them on a date or go individually and have a meal. And they just, at the end of it, they compile a whole report on their 
uh, experience. So um, that's one thing that we do uh, as a service we offer. Um, we've actually gone so far as to have people get hired in companies when we've worked with them and work for a week or two and then write a report on the company culture and what they experienced and how they were treated and if they would work for that company or not. Um, we do market analysis for people. We'll go in and we'll, we'll uh, analyze the competition. We'll analyze the average product uh, price in the market. We'll analyze everything for them. Um, so we kind of do all this for you all. But product testing is vital to make sure that your product is still right. This the process that goes into creating that is still yielding what you intended. Um, and then constantly getting feedback. So feedback is important, right? If you're in a restaurant and you don't go out and you talk to every table, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. Um, there's always other indicators you want to be very acute to looking at what's coming back on the plate. Um, just staying in tune, like get feedback from people. You know, I constantly call clients and say, how's it going? How did, did you enjoy our services? Was there something that I could have done better to, to that you think I didn't do? Just get feedback. And then what we talk about constantly, which is the final really holistic part of our four, four product, four pillar product is continuous improvement. So, you know, if you have good people, good, good process, good products and good promotion, but you can increase each one of those pillars just a little bit, it's amazing in how much that adds up to over time. So we're talking collectively, it starts to grow exponentially, right? If I'm improving my product and I'm improving the people that make the product, if I'm making the process more efficient and I'm better promoting it right i figure out these ads work these ads don't work they like facebook they like instagram uh, uh they like you know i do really good if i put it in these magazines billboards don't work for me whatever it is i'm getting better and better and better in each one of those so as my promotion gets better my product demand gets better as my product gets better my you know as my process gets better my product gets better as my people get better everything gets better so it's, it's not just like a, you know, 1% linear. It's like exponential growth once you just install constant improvement, just constant, consistent, never-ending improvement on each one. Um, and so that's it. That, that's it in a nutshell. That's our episode for product. Um, it was obviously a simple that we go much, de much deeper if you decide to work with us. Um, but for simplicity's sake, that's it. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope it's brought some value. Um, if you're a entrepreneur or if you're someone in a company and you think you could benefit from this, please give us a call. Um, Lessons in Leadership, reach out to us, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, whatever it is. We try to get back with everyone that reaches out. Um, we really enjoy working with people and trying to improve because we believe that if we can help you improve and you help someone else improve, Slowly but surely, we can improve everyone. Um, and I know for sure that I would want a world that I live in that I get the best version of my doctor, the best version of my mechanic, the best version of everybody that I come into contact with, and they all deserve the best version of me. So we need to make each other better, make our products better, make our communities better, make everything better. That's it. 
Do me one more favor, guys. Get off social media, get off this podcast, and get to work.